Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nick.com's Legend of Korra series. This week, tension over Tenzin. The children of Aang must defend the new airbenders and their family from Zaheer or be used as bait to lure in the Avatar. The scourge of the Red Lotus threatens to overtake the world. Yikes. And now your hosts, Matt, Dave, and Joanna. Hello and welcome to Republic City Dispatch. I'm Matt Patches and here again are Joanna Robinson. Hello. And Dave with the Seven Gonzales. That would be me. Uh, we do not have a Devendra Hardawar today, unfortunately, but not because of a, like a Tenzin-esque reason. Uh, he just isn't here with us today, um, but he's alive and uh, kicking it somewhere. The, that's what summer does. It, it spreads us apart. We all have our own individual adventures. Hopefully there's a spinoff comic with Devendra where you learn about the side plot later, maybe a 2D animated well, web series or something. We, we all know that he like was really in the metal bending, so I think he just had to go wander the world and look for Toph for a little bit. That that's true. And who, he's, who, he's blame, who could blame him? It's so bleak out there these days. Things are getting I a little I thought you were the rough. one who was like a little Toph obsessed. Yeah, that's I mean, true. I think when you were gone, we made the same Toph joke. Yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, going to happen to Toph, too. She's going to come back and she's going to make all these jokes we've already heard before. I mean, next week we'll send somebody else out. We just need like a, we need a roving one Republic City dispatch. We're going to break the Toph story wide open, guys. <laughs> we, are, we are a publication. We are a newspaper, an old-timey radio. I have no idea what we're talking about anymore. Dave, um, we are, we're talking about The Ultimatum today, we are. episode 11 of 13. There's only two more. What happened in The Ultimatum before we get going here? So Maka and Bolin hijack an airship and evacuate their extended family from a leaderless bossing stay in chaos. And then they meet up with Korra, Pabu, Naga, Asami, Lin, Tanrak, and Zuko to deliver a message from Zaheer. Zaheer's on his way to the air temple, and he's going to wipe out the airbenders unless Korra gives herself up. So Team Avatar tries to radio in to Tenzin a warning, but they need to be closer to him, so they end up at Zhao Fu with the Metal Clan. Uh, but by the time they reach Tenzin on the radio, it's too late. Tenzin refuses to be used as ransom, and he, Boomy, and Kaya fight off Gazan, Minghua, and Zaheer, while Kai distracts Sparky Sparky Boom Boom Woman and attempts to get the airbenders to safety. Kai gets shot down, Kai and Boomy get knocked off a cliff, and Tenzin gets outnumbered, and we pan away from Tenzin being beaten by the Red Lotus and discover that Kai survived his fall and is back in the game via Baby Air Bison. Uh, there are so many names this season. Are there more names than usual? I, we have, we've been getting less pronunciation <laughs> Uh, I mean, uh, so. Ed, look, look, going into like, we're really calling this thing Unavatu at the end of last season was that now this is like we started off and I was like having trouble with the Beifong Baifong and the, the different uh, Sato Sato. But now now it's like these are all people Unalak that I and Tanrock. These are all people that I love, so it's like Unalak and Tanrak is was so much more confusing than Gazan, Minghua, Zahir, and Plee, Pili. Oh, he almost got them. Did you call yeah. her Plee? Oh, uh, Plee. <laughs> A thousand angry letters written. Combu- <laughs> Combustion girl. Uh, before we get to the discussion of this episode, just another thank you to all the listeners who've been subscribing on iTunes and leaving very nice reviews of the show uh, there with with star ratings and all that nonsense. It just really helps the show get out there, and we, we owe it all to you guys to, to the success that we've had with this show. So thank you. And also to everybody who's been jumping on RepublicCityDispatch.com every week, either before the episode or, or before our episodes or after, to kind of talk back and keep the 
discussion going. We're reblogging with their own like blog posts. It's just been amazing the reactions we've gotten and the discussion that has brewed from these episodes. I think it's a testament to the show and it's a testament to all of your intellects. Uh, so thank you. Um, why don't we kick it here with the ultimatum? There's been some. There was some big stuff that happened at the end of this episode, but I want to talk about the little stuff that happened at the beginning because I think. Uh, the first act of this episode is quite extraordinary uh, as we open on the, the bossing say in flames. And uh, it's like a disaster movie. Uh, and specifically, it's like Dante's Peak. Because Mako <laughs> and Boleyn are trying to get their grandma out of bossing say, and she will I not move. That. Yeah, fire. I saw that reference in your Screen Crush uh, write up. And having never seen Dante's Peak, I was, really imp- I was really impressed. I've seen neither Volcano nor Dante's Peak. What? I was- what? <laughs> I was really impressed with your reference that I didn't understand. I mean, I understood it. Like, wait, wait, so what apparently about... there's, there's someone in Dante's Peak who won't leave. What's the reference? Is that what no, you're I... asking, Dave? Well, no, no. I want to pause to do a quick uh, dual movie, uh, d- Deep Impact and uh, and the Bruce Willis aspect. Armageddon? Movie. How can Armageddon, you forget the yes, name I've of seen, Armageddon? Yes, I've seen both of those. Okay, and uh, how about uh, Ants, Ants and Bugs and Life? Bugs Life, yes. I've seen both. Uh, do you have okay, a preference so just... in either of those? Uh, a Bugs yeah. Life. Okay. And uh, Armageddon. Uh, I'm a deep. Even impact though I bet you myself. Deep Impact is a better movie, uh, Armageddon just you know. I don't know if Deep Impact's a better movie, but <laughs> no, I, I I might I don't know. I, I I always try to go to bat for ants in that in all of these things. I feel like it was a Woody Allen ant movie that had some interesting animation things going on. Unimportant. Yeah, but Bugs Actually, Life is the devalued Pixar movie that no one respects and everyone one, should yeah. revisit because it's awesome. And Dave it Foley. Is. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to choose, but Julia it's like, Louis <laughs> if we're talking about Dante's Peak versus Volcano, Armageddon versus Deep Impact, Bugs Likes versus Ants, if I'm going to argue for one underdog, I'm going to un- argue for Ants, because I think both of those are the, the good movies. It's, uh, But yeah, I remember that being a period of time where I'm like, what's, why is this happening in Hollywood all of a sudden? Anyway, uh, <laughs> back so to Dante's now, Peak or back yeah, to Cora? Dante's Peak, uh, they, they don't want to move and the, the, the lava's coming, coming at them, right? That's yeah, the, the grandma, the grandma didn't want to leave. Yeah. What was that? Is Elizabeth Shue in Dante's Peak? No, no, Linda Hamilton. Oh, Linda in, Hamilton. And Pierce Brosnan. So Linda Hamilton's yeah. mother doesn't want to leave her house. And oh. eventually she redeems herself by jumping into a lake of sulfur and pushing a kid's boat to safety and burning half of her body off. Yeah. Um, it's pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. The way they treat that, like, that volcano is coming for our main characters in Dante's Peak is hilarious on a rewatch. <laughs> oh, is it like, is it like uh, the sharks and jaws, like following a family around and yeah, ja- them down? Ja- it's like the jaws of revenge <laughs> of volcano movies. <laughs> I think they drive a car over lava at some point, which doesn't make sense. Anyway. And, 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 like Pierce Brosnan, right? He's like, oh, it's in, in my past. I had horrible, you know, like, <laughs> like this volcano's out to get me. <laughs> we, we, here, here's why this matters. Volcano's child. Okay. Here's why this discussion matters. Because <laughs> does the ultimatum successfully transition from this kind of frightening anarchy or anarchical society that Bossing Say has imploded into because Zaheer has assassinated the Earth Queen, you know, told everyone to rise up. They've melted the walls. This is a city of of freedom now, except freedom is looting and burning things and going wild and and living by no law. Um, And that's that's kind of frightening and scary. We talked a little about that last week. But now when we pick up in the ultimatum with Mako and Bolin trying to get out of uh, town, 
it's it does feel like a disaster movie in some ways. Uh, we still see elements of this kind of looting behavior or this uh, you know people gone wild. But does it work for you? Does it does it maintain? the terror that comes with absolute freedom? Um, Uh, Well, I mean, I think that it's really, it was really good storytelling to a couple of episodes ago, have Mako and Bolin be the characters that are going to witness this because we can commit to their commitment to each other and Bolin's comedy seems to work really well. When you when say the, a few episodes ago, what are, you, what are you alluding to? Are you alluding to them going to the outer rings of Ba Sing Se or they, they are somehow our eyes on... Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, when they got captured at the Misty Palms oh, gotcha. and brought back, and it, they got separated from Team Avatar for a while, and really that only serves as like these are the perfect two characters to deal with like the most deadly serious plot Korra's attempted, where regicide turns into like this weird uh, lawless state, and then you know their grandmother like sort of wants to be close to the queen portrait and is like very old fashioned. But Mako and Bolin are the only characters because we are not going to spend as much time there as would be as we would need to explore all the issues fully. They're the perfect characters to make a quip about it. Like, make sure no one has no respect for other people's property. Let's steal that airship. Like being able to have a character that could put those two thoughts together and then move on is like really the only way you could service this storyline without making it feel weird. I think so. It really worked for me that the first act of this is sort of like Mako and Bolin trying to get out of this horrifying situation, but doing it in their Mako and Bolin way, where Mako's like, I need to get things done, and Bolin's quipping along with him. Joanna, I don't know if you have a thought on that. or. Um, well, I don't know. Do we want to talk about contemporary parallels or not? We c- Of course we do. What? Are, that's music to my ears. Uh, <laughs> that's my whole thing on this show. Let's talk um, about think, real life. I think you were talking about how season one you know, sort of reflected some of what was going on with Occupy Wall Street and, and you, I don't know, with like a looting riotous city or 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 political rebellion turned into looting, um, you know, coinciding with what's happening in, in Ferguson and Missouri. I don't know, it's, I don't want to get too serious or heavy about it, especially since this was written well before that, but um it is it is true what Dave says that it that it really is kind of amazing that they were able to make a lighthearted sequence out of that in any way. So right. Well, well, what's interesting is we don't have a Ferguson situation in when when Bossing say erupts. Right. I mean, people are looting and people are going crazy and protesting and burning things down and finally feeling freedom, but in a violent manner. But the police are with them. I was joking with Dave. In, in emails before this that um, I was like, if the Dai Li show up and start trying to bring the people of yeah, Bossing right. Say down, then we'd have the, like, this crazy parallel that's just strangely timely. It would, it would really scare me. Um, but, but we don't necessarily because actually the police are like in on the looting too, right? They're like the gold. Come on, I know where all the, yeah, I know where the the gold is. I know where all the expensive stuff is. Um, So everyone's in on it. Everyone's feeling the freedom. What I think is really interesting is Mako telling Bolin, this isn't our battle. You know, is it not their battle? I mean, are they turning a, a, are they giving this the cold shoulder for a good reason? Um, Uh, Well, see, here's the thing, that nice little bit of storytelling there is we're told that Zaheer's giving him a message uh, for Korra at the end of the last episode, and you kind of forget about that here. But, like, when you weigh what Zaheer's message is with 
uh, like, should they stay and help, like, the Earth Kingdom? It's like, obviously, the right choice is you need to get to core as fast as possible. Well, I don't know about obviously the right choice. I mean, obviously, the right choice is to keep core informed. But I think we talked about this last week because I I wondered if they if the air temple was going to be under threat. And I think it was Devendra was or someone was like, are they are they just going to abandon Bossing Say in in flames and go to the air temple like that? And isn't that the whole question? You know that that Korra confronts in the spirit worlds. The subtext of that question. Right, but isn't that the Avatar's choice? And if you're Mako and Bolin, Avatar, Avatar, Avatar Air Boys, it's like yeah. your job is like stopping to save your family is an understandable detour. Stopping to like try to deal with the political unrest of a city that has been separated into three separate parts for hundreds and hundreds of years probably more important that somebody at least give Korra the option of saving the Air, air, air Nation. Yeah. I would say interesting to to allow Ba Sing Se to burn to the ground just because it's out of control because it's it's well that's that's the amazing thing about the Red Lotus and how we've seen them operate in this season is we haven't seen them fight Korra they're achieving all of their goals without actually fighting the Avatar which like Korra hasn't really done a whole bunch of Avatar state things or even had any large fights like against other benders she's mostly been like trying to rescue everybody from sand sharks and teach people airbending so it's like they're they're such a moving target and we have no idea what their motives are even really now we still don't know what they want Korra for yeah and i there's like two episodes left in the season it's just they're such intimidating villains that it's really easy to forget that we haven't seen a showdown they just keep moving and keep our heroes off balance I kept wondering if the grandma's resistance to leaving Ba Sing Se had a, like a thematic button here, if that meant anything, or if that was just comedy, adding on to what you were talking about, Dave, with, with Mako and Boleyn's antics here, or if there is something that Brian and Mike are saying by having the grandma cling to this, cling, cling to her portrait of the Earth Queen, uh, nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, change... Is hard change, is and the I mean, name of the book. I've uh, when I was growing up in Colorado, my friend Julian uh, had three generations of his Korean family living in his house, and uh, the, the grandmother would like make kimchi the old-fashioned way by burying it in you know the ground in the backyard, and spoke no English, and totally had like weird like a little weird shrine room that meant a lot to her that I had no idea what it was all about. So that totally makes sense with me. And then it's also great to see once they take her out of her physical entrenched in her space home that she's so afraid of leaving. She immediately does her best to try to understand the new circumstances she's in and get, you know, Mako dating, dating again instantly becomes like the doting grandmother. Uh, what, so. a, what a perfect grandmother line when she grabs Cora's arm and says, oh, you're so, you're very muscular for a woman. I'm like, oh, grandma, stop it, please. Well, grandma had you know just what like year this is? over, <laughs> she just fawned over Asami and been like, oh, the avatar is so much prettier than I thought. Oh my God, her hair. I mean, we all love Asami's hair, but grandma, grandma really liked it. And then she's like, oh, not the avatar. Right. Oh, men, oh, men. This, oh, this muscular thing. She needs to see Cora with her hair out of that ponytail. Uh, <laughs> she does look good with her hair down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, men men have no idea what women go through with, with grandmas, I feel like. Moms have a certain... <laughs> 
certain oppressive nature, but like grandmas have expectations from generations ago where they're just not caught up to social evolution. And, also, no shame. And no Almost shame. Almost grandmas, anything. Yeah, yeah, just no shame. And that's, that's what I kind of like about it is like sh- the interaction she has with Asami and Korra is so cute. But like if there was a real world interaction and we're like on Tumblr and talking about how Asami's drawn more femininely and Korra is drawn more muscularly and it's like some broy white dude, then I hate that conversation. But they found a way to put it in put it in grandma. And then I'm like, oh, that's recognizable, grandma. But it's cute it's cute, but I mean it's scary too. Like you don't want to be the grandma. People need to know that they can't be the grandma, right? I mean, yeah. they're just like we allow our grandmothers to say these sort of things. I mean, my grandma tells me to get married all the time, and I'm just like, okay, but to my sister, she's so mean sometimes. It's just like about body image or about like the expectations of a woman. And it's like that is archaic thinking. And if you allow your grandmother's thoughts to continue on in this day and age, it's like you do not want to be matching up with the grandma in any situation yeah, pretty much yeah we let we let grandma do that because grandma has lived this long and grandma can say whatever she wants and frankly i look forward to the day when i am grandma age and get to say whatever i want not that i would like tell someone to get married or i know what say crazy someone is things too muscular. are old us gonna say like what are 50 but years i would from like now? i would very much insist on the on the seat on the bus all the time because i have given my seat up on the bus to every single grandma i've ever seen so oh, i'm like snap. my turn now guys oh snap <laughs> You're, you're like paying the karmic social security <laughs> yeah. bus seats. That's hilarious. <laughs> I don't want to be like racist or mean towards young women or anything like that. That's something other grandmas apparently feel the need to do. But like, you right. know, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to be a, a an old woman, but as an old man, <laughs> I feel like my greatest thrill is going to be demanding McDonald's breakfast after they've stopped serving <laughs> McDonald's breakfast. <laughs> And it's like Do you I think, know how old I am. They yeah, end it like, so early, though. Then like it's just well, I mean, it's not going to be early for me if I'm if I age like I've seen my grandparents age. You'll be able to I'm just a.m. yeah, I'm just going to get up earlier and earlier, and then wait until right after they've stopped serving breakfast, and then demand it, and then be like, otherwise, I'm going to make a scene here in your McDonald's. <laughs> Anarchist Grandpa Dave is going to be my favorite thing in the whole world. Yes, <laughs> it's going to be sweet. I need fan art of Intentionally that. messing with you, Grandpa Dave. Best. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'll be like, back in my day, we passed around USB sticks with this show called Legend of Korra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way to bring it back. It'll be, right. it'll be Jackass Bad Grandpa starring Dave. But, um, yeah. but I, did love, I did love the grandma saying like, ah, is this airship home now? No, no, Grandma. Yeah, that was really sad. That was really sad. I was just <laughs> like when she sad. grabs the Queen's portrait. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I had I had serious feelings about that because on our last episode, I saw some comments on the website about maybe that we were being too we were too okay with regicide or like we we were. That's probably directed a... directly at me. I believe I said I'm always okay with regicide last week. So <laughs> well, I'm that's sorry an exact quote. That. Then yes, it might have been directed at you. If only you were a grandpa, you could well, have gotten away with it. We were making a case for why like, it's tough to say that what Zaheer has done is 100% wrong. I mean, I think – I mean, it's wrong. Actually, I, I, I take that statement back and say you can't, you can't just murder someone because you have a disagreement. But like his, his political motives are not incorrect. She's obviously a wicked person. Um, but we, we took some heat for that. And I felt uh, that, that came back up in my mind when I saw grandma grab the portrait off the wall. And it's like for some people this is important or for some people uh, tearing an aspect of life, however – manipulative it is, um, you, you're still removing a part of someone's life from them. And I think about 
you know, going back to my own grandma or something, I'm not a particularly religious person and my grandma really is and, uh, you know, that's something I struggle with. Do you, do you speak honestly about something that your grandma loves um, because you don't agree with it or do you just kind of let it go um, and, and let them grab the portrait of the Earth Queen? Uh, you got to let it, it go. Helps, it helps them survive. Yeah, you have to, like, you, you have to, to let it go. Gently racist. You're not going to change grandma's mind at this point. You know, like if you have a racist grandparent, you're not going to be able to educate them. But the Earth Queen point. is horrible. Right. Agreed. But you're not going to be able to convince grandma of that at this point. And it's also, I think it's also meant to speak to, we talked about this we've, for the last couple episodes, this idea of leaders, bad leaders, or what makes a good leader. And so I think it is important to show someone who is devoted to the Earth Queen, even though we know empirically that she's awful. Because there are people devoted to awful leaders all the time around the world. Yeah, like half this country. That we yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm not going to say what half is yeah, right and what half's wrong here. We're, they're both right and they're both wrong. Um, but saying, we're in competition I, with each other. Well, wouldn't that just mean the whole half. country is wrong? Technically, no, but they're also my, 100% right. I'm just my I, half is right. If you're <laughs> whatever my half may be. You're yes. like you have a black and white cookie and a white and black cookie is what you said. It's like you had it both ways. Yeah, but if, if someone in your family is the black side of the cookie and you're the white side of the cookie, then look, you just have two cookies. Oh, awesome. Back. Yes. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> nom 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 nom. <laughs> uh, I it's this episode uh, for me works at uh, uh, such a interesting pace where like we didn't we don't get time to mourn because it needs the tension of the earth queen's death at the end of this episode so the act one and act two or for i guess it's so it's so hard with like online weird commercial breaks but i think they're still at an act one and an act two um are so much about like keeping this constant momentum where the airship needs to get to the Misty Palms, and then we need to pivot at the Misty Palms, and then we need to get to the Metal Clan, and then Korra What a, what a weird to... thing that we had, like, them being in the airship searching for Korra in the desert. Why do you think they needed that? If there was one wrong step in the plotting of this episode, it was when they were... They spent well, a minute why. or two searching for Korra for some reason when, obviously, the whole audience is ahead of this plotting. Here's why. Uh, Here's why. It's because if they had known where Korra was, which is the Misty Palms, presumably there is some kind of radio at Misty Palms. You could have had Mako and Bolin radio from Bossing Say, in theory. And so I think they needed to have her, like, uh, to think she's in the desert so that they had no choice but to go out and look for her. And then that removes their guilt of leaving Bossing Say. Right. You You have to do it because it doesn't make sense any other way. Right. I I like that. But I also liked the shot of all these Mako and Bolin strangers who have never met the Avatar and just got moved out of their, like, family home, lining the windows and just keeping a constant visual yeah, as they're flying blinking, over the... blinking yeah. into the sand. Um, but we should talk about next the, the like, Dave Gonzalez stand-in that was um, Bolin who freaked out over Zuko. Uh, this was the reception for Zuko you guys have been wanting, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, I actually wrote the exact same thing in my notes. Bolin freaking out over Zuko, basically Dave, is what I wrote down. <laughs> that um. is totally how I would be. I don't know why Bolin wouldn't would make an honor joke because he didn't you know watch the series. He just sort of like heard it. So I I, I, I give that up. But uh, still, yeah, that's basically would be my reaction. And yet Zuko is not phased. No one cares. Bullet <laughs> well, but Zuko true. gets the awesome reaction when Korra's like, oh, yeah, I talked to Iroh. And he just gets that wide-eyed look that's sort of like a blink. That warms uh, my heart. So many old 
series characters finding out about each other. And they're still so relevant. Uh, someone, okay, I, I think it was over at the AV Club on their review is forecasting that this is this entire season, since we only have like two episodes left, is building up to this cliffhanger. And book four is like literally everybody that's still alive needs to like rise to, to defeat the Red Lotus and or get Korra back. Rise. You mean getting uh, Luke and Leia and Han back in the in the cast? Oh man, yeah. Like <laughs> you know, figure out we're gonna hopefully meet Zuko's daughter when he has to come back from where he flies off to. And I hope that means we get Apple a Shadow of up. the Empire novelization of whatever happens between book three and book four. <laughs> yeah, or maybe that's what the the video. I haven't played the video game. Is that story in canon? Uh, I will have to quickly look that up, but I thought that happened after book one, maybe. That well, makes I will, sense. I will check that while someone else is talking about something. Yeah, because then we'll have, like, cool... I imagine it's, as as the video game goes, it's going to be cooler to chain bending against, like, the uh, equalists. So, yeah, make under after the first season would make sense. But, point being, these... Uh, Three seasons, book two, book three, and book four, were all bought and basically produced uh, in in succession. With and uh, they talk to each other in really interesting ways. And I think at some point, maybe at the recap episode for last season, or maybe the first episode of this season, I was like, it was like uh, the talking about Amon and sort of having Tenzin be like this stick in the mud that had to learn how to be a teacher. All of that stuff that we got from book one was like, they thought that was a mini series and it's all really good. But book two was the first act, you know, of our three acts. Right. Because it does connect, right? Unalak uh, ties into the red Lotus. Right. And I think like venom of the red Lotus being the title of the last episode of this season doesn't sound like we're going to have like an end of the red Lotus. And so it, it was originally titled hugs and kisses. So it, uh, just give right. you a, they decided to go with a different direction, but uh, it, might now be, that, it might be sweet. Who knows? Yeah, now they didn't have to promote it on television. They could call it what it really Venom. is. Venom of the Red Lotus. But it's Ten, like... Tenzin's super dead, you guys. So if you got to take that and you, you know that everything of Korra is going to like build something, what I really like about this idea is because crazy fan theory time, you oh. have Zaheer pull Vatu out of Korra uh Temple of Doom style, and he actually bonds. He actually becomes the Dark Avatar. I just don't think they can do that plot again. I think that's a retread. It would be a little I, weird to see Vatu I mean, get yanked out again. Maybe Wan well, shows up. He's like, hey, guys, just for kicks. Well, but in order, in order to have... <laughs> in order to have World War Avatar, you know, the battle, the War of the Lotus or whatever. And you need like a Red Skull. You need, yeah, you need a super powerful guy. And as we saw in this episode, Zaheer, for all his talk, like, basically, if Tenzin didn't get teamed up on at the end, Tenzin had him. There was, the Zaheer wasn't landing, like, tons of blows. His, his form was way off. So it's like, he's super intimidating because he just you know kill the queen but i have the, like a feeling that you know if if everybody were to meet in combat like we would see that team avatar is actually better stacked mm. up than we think they are way to get way it, ahead of ourselves Dave. here's my crazy fan theory which is not going to happen because there's been no seeding of this like there's no they have not telegraphed this in any way but i would like to see our four bad guys 
merge into one super bad guy a la sort of Captain Planet type of thing. Like, put them all together, and then what do you have? You have basically an avatar, an evil avatar. Whoa, like they're going to meld into one yeah. being. I, I actually would prefer if they Voltroned. Where Power Rangers <laughs> Zord, uh, and they would be like Gazan is the arm, and yeah. wait, uh, so wait, wait, there would be an arm with an arm with water for smaller arms. Well, maybe like two water fingers, and then Ningwa would be the arm. Yes, that is what I'm getting at here. I really okay, thought your giant fan theory would have Blueberry Spicehead in it. Um, I'm a little. Well, I mean, that's going to be the last shot. Blueberry Spice has just smiles and gives a thumbs up to the camera. Hey. And hugs and kisses. (laughs) Wasn't that the Southern Air Temple of Blueberry Spice Head? Dave, don't try and derail this theory. I'm just just trying to figure out if Blueberry Spice Head is the one that that has Kai at the end. But I guess that was like a year ago. No, that's a different one. Those are the ones that they met when the hunt, the poachers were. Oh um, yeah, force. they don't have, they don't have cute names yet. I think I think we're getting way ahead of ourselves here because yeah, I did yeah. want to touch on one thing. Well, first off, I should say that the Legend of Korra video game takes place between book two and three. Ooh, so ooh. maybe maybe it is our Shadow of the Empire, but well, that was between Empire and Return of the Jedi, but it's something. Um, I, I there was a large debate in our uh, talk back comments between. Um, the wonderful Love Waffle and the otherly wonderful Theozilla, who are top commenters on Republic City Dispatch. Props to you guys. But every week they bicker over something, and it's wonderful to watch because uh, mm-hmm. they're both bright. But they were they were bickering to uh, this week over how quickly Zuko's dragon could get to the the Northern Air Temple if he had left from the Misty Palms Oasis instead of going to Zalfu first to phone them. <laughs> Why did they go to Zalfu? Why is this important? Is it just to like prolong? I mean, Korra can't get to the temple in time to stop Zaheer, uh, both narratively because... speaking and yeah, perhaps right. uh, within the world. But um, it, did it did it rub you the wrong way that she had to go to Zalfu for some reason to phone them? To <laughs> it's a, it's a little odd, but I I don't know. It worked for me. My suspicion is that Sue somehow, because until I'm still on Team Sue is evil, yeah. so Sue somehow. Are you or are you joking? No, I'm jo- I'm not joking. <laughs> You're not joking. So Sue could still pop up, especially if Red Lotus continues on into Book Four. Any last minute revelations are, are plausible here. So Sue like, being if she evil. messed, if she messed with the radio or convinced her people to mess with the radio or convinced. Um, you know, use magnets on the radio or whatever. Use magnets on the radio. I hope. I really hope that's the direction. I, I don't think that's how it works. I, but uh, once you put a magnet on the radio, them, it doesn't work. Everyone knows that. Uh, to stall them so that they could not reach Tenzin in time. Hmm. Well, you still have someone. We have a commenter, S. Cora, who still two hours before we recorded this podcast commented, "Look at that picture of Sue in the circus. That's Zaheer." So we still have people on your side on this one. That's a, that's Sue. Is oh, evil. you guys have all abandoned me at this point. <laughs> yep. I'm not saying I've abandoned you. Yeah, I'm actually. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd be excited by that revelation. But some people think it's out of character, and I'm starting to think that maybe that yeah, does the show else? undo itself if if Sue becomes evil. Do we undermine everything that happened to Lynn and all these other episodes? Why that else we've would they go to Zaifu? Zaifu? Is it because they need? Oh, I can't remember his name. Um, Varric. Yeah. Is it because Varric is somehow going to his be instrumental? Suit? Yeah. And they need to stop, swing by and pick him up and whatever magnet monorail thing he has <laughs> doing. I yeah. hope I hope he brings his magnet monorail. <laughs> well, from a storytelling standpoint, it makes sense that 
if we're going to go towards some sort of showdown that they bring along the Metal Clan army since we saw Team Avatar sort of defeat the Red Lotus with that before. So that makes sense. I'm not sure if that's what's supposed to be being communicated from the writers of the show. We just need to know, they just need to know that they're coming and they couldn't actively like defeat uh, uh, Zaheer with the because what is it? They, their airship was damaged with Mako and Bolin getting out of Bossing Say, and they only had the airship, that airship, and the dragon, uh, and that that'd be it. Because uh, Lin came in on a car, and Tanrock came in. Uh, we don't we don't even know. He walked. He walked. He strolled. Tanrock <laughs> just kind of walks around. Dooby dooby doo. Oh, but hey guys. He's on the back of the dragon. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you can't the, you can't see two on that dragon. <laughs> I mean, that's that was a that, rough moment for Zuko and Tonrock because Tonrock <laughs> was like, "Hey, do you mind if I?" Uh, no, man, sorry, it's one seat, it's one seat dragon. on this dragon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dude, what, what, what? <laughs> one seat on this dragon. Sorry, one seat on this dragon. Bye. Yeah, no, I, can't sit with us or whatever. It is weird. <laughs> it is weird, but it's just it's I don't know. It's like this weird tension building shuffling thing i didn't hate it like we needed it for the impact of the third act of this episode i mean this incredible extended action sequence at the right, Air Temple. Sue- nothing could happen it's it's if it, if it seems flawed uh when we pull it out and, and analyze it it's only because it works to build up to this incredible yeah. finale i mean we need it it's a sacrifice in some way yeah and we need to has has Stakes in this because Pearl was there. I mean, I think they all evacuated. Not Pearl, but... Opal. Oh, sorry. Opal. Oh, my oh my god. <laughs> oh my Which god. Uh, I did not realize this while watching, but someone pointed out in our comments that Opal is the one that Ming Hua grabs and holds an ice knife to her neck. Yeah. Uh, I totally did not pick that up. Mostly because Opal is kind of like I haven't seen her in a while. She's not that identifiable. She kind of looks like Janora grown up. Yeah. <laughs> I just was terrified by that image. I don't think I even registered who was actually Kaya, being held like that. All the stuff that was happening to Kaya was really scaring me. I I thought for sure. She was done. I mean, and that's so silly because, of course, my theory this whole time has been that Tenzin dies. You can't have Kaya and Tenzin die. But I, I don't know. That was a lot. That was a lot coming. Kaya, at Kaya is like my new favorite character. She's been incredible she's this season. She's, she's really she kicks so much butt. I who knew? Like she's yeah. so nice and she heals people. But when push comes to shove, she has some of the most interesting action scenes I think in the history of the show, including Avatar: Whoa. The Last Airbender. Whoa! Ooh, I mean, Whoa. yeah, I would give that. I just the entire are we are we to the action scene? We're, now? we're in the action scene. Okay. Z- here and the Red Lotus have shown up to the Air Temple. And and many things go down. Yeah, this Poop is the sort down. of this is the sort of a fight choreography that I wish you could see more on television. Um, for In like, general, you mean? Well, like just the thought that's put behind why people are doing what they're doing, where they're doing it, and it's just such care is put into the structuring of this last sequence. And they've been building this whole episode off of what happened to the Earth Queen. So the audience is in this very vulnerable place where we feel like everybody's in jeopardy. Um, even though it's like, it's, they're not, it's still, it's still legend of Korra. So it's like, there's not going to be, Tenzin's not going to die off screen or anything like that. So, you know, it's going to be a build, um, when it does happen, 
but I didn't know. Like I thought that you know they could kill Kaya and Boomy or have like Kai fall into the mist, and I would have honestly forgot he was down there. Uh, and if they wanted to have him like sort of do a jet, and that was the end of Kai. Um, but it, it's just. You, I watch things like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and it's like, now they're fighting in an airplane because that's the airplane set we have to pay for. And it's like, you kind of, it's, the beautiful thing about animation is it frees them up to be, to really think, like, what's the difference right. between Tenzin's airbending and Zaheer's airbending? And to make it more realistic, right? I yeah. mean, I feel the danger of this entire sequence from start to finish. My heart was racing um, and you feel... The weight of all these objects, of the, the destruction that's happening around them, every hit. I mean, the scene where Gazan is kind of chasing Boomy around this temple courtyard and melting the ground under him or you know, of lava bending and kind of throwing him all over the place. Man, that stuff really scared me because I'm like, what if you're just underneath you was on fire all of a sudden and you were totally helpless? I mean, he, Boomy has a few airbender moves in his pocket, but this is not a guy who can take on Gazan. He is going to get his butt kicked. Um, and that really, like every time he gets flailed around, that stuff's scary. Yeah, I would, uh, oh, yes. I, th- I would really felt for Boomy and was like, don't let him get like permanently scarred or something because he's still Boomy and super brave where like he's going to do his best to hold off this guy that he has no chance of doing anything offensive to. Like his best move is hair pulling on his back because that at least stops him from bending everything into lava. But yeah, and then Kaya's facing the octopus-armed Water for Arms is one of the greater visual images of the show where so it's like, good. and then things went south for Kaya. Yeah. That is and an iconic image. Instantly iconic ming coming up with the spider arms. It's incredible. Yeah. And then also, yeah, Zaheer versus Tenzin on the ledge is just like great. It has like some Great, um, uh, I'm, what I'm sure were referenced uh, martial art moves. Yes, and Tenzin also dance like, poses are uh, yes. some pretty weird moves, but I'm just like, I, I just want to see someone remix that with some cool dance music because <laughs> you got some yeah. cool moves in there. Yeah, we'll do that and some Baby Groot and it'll just string yeah. them together and some. <laughs> and Reese Witherspoon dancing. Oh, yeah, man. we'll do It'll be our nice field. Feel better uh, video. We at the our, end of yeah, the our, need to be our hugs and kisses, and then ending with um, blueberry spice it. So yeah. Uh, anyway, I really liked. I really liked it. I really liked their use of slow motion. It's I, I. I. It really works well as a whole for me. So this is what I. This is what I sent Dave after we watched this episode, <laughs> and I. I apologize to the world. Oh, you're gonna quote. You're gonna quote from it for communicating and hashtags. <laughs> but I wrote hashtag tens and dies. Dave's argument is no way does Tenzin die here because they're not going to give him an off-screen death. And I agree with that. And it's possible that Kai comes to the rescue, which is just not an earned character moment for that for that kid. Um, but my theory, you know, as out there maybe as the Sue is evil theory, is that Tenzin dies or is dying when Cora gets there. And she says goodbye to him, but that he's toast I... after being... I would agree with you. I I have a few things that I want to point out about hashtag Tenzin dies, which started at the beginning of this season. I've had many people knock on my door and say, like, this is your fault. (laughs) Or or they're very angry about 
kind of goofing, having a cheeky oh, tone to talk about this true. death watch. Well, um, uh, and mm-hmm. well, well, so let me address this: that yes. um, any cheeky tone is to take away from the serious gravity of a of a of a show death, right? I mean, these are fictional characters, so we can be a little lighter about it. And it's we're into this comic book narrative that's rolling out. Um, but when we started talking about Tenzin dying at the beginning of the season, it was not motivated by "Wouldn't it be funny if Tenzin died?" Ah! Oh. Um, it was it was it was born from narrative concepts, seeds we were seeing planted in this uh, arc that Tenzin was on, and uh, something that I think has been happening since book two, honestly, about Tenzin failing and about him not being the airbender he thought he should be, but rather becoming the airbender he was and is and can be, uh, and self-sacrifice, what that really means. And obviously, Tenzin came out of his shell here to kick some serious butt. I mean, he's all, uh, we've never seen him engage in this kind of fight. He's so powerful. He is a master. Um, And if we've been talking about Tenzin dies in kind of a cheeky way, it's because we just, we feel it coming. And I think that's as TV watchers, right? We're we're kind of designed at this point to see the the motivations or the mechanics of a narrative that might be leading to a big death. We watch a lot of television, but that doesn't take away from the moment, the emotional impact of something like that. I mean, when Tenzin was on the ground all beat up and he drops that line, like, I'm not, I'm not done until my last breath, which is like, oh, what a great line considering the way Earth Queen uh, kicked think, it. I think, I think, I, th- I also think airbenders just use a lot of air colloquialisms. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's like, like he's on. just a voice on the breeze. Is this a time like for that. a pun? Tenzin. Loud night. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it's like I just grew up doing it. I would agree with you, Joanna, that I don't think Tenzin's dead, but he probably will be before the end of the season. But we need Cora to be there. Cora needs to yeah. see Tenzin die. It, yeah. it, she needs to have her like Obi Wan strike down, strike down moment. Um, Ooh, yeah. So she like gets there, and he distracts them from her by sacrificing himself. Especially considering, theory. let's talk about what Zuko told her. I mean, what an interesting piece of advice to like talk to Iroh. Iroh really doesn't tell her too much. Go to go to Zuko. <laughs> uh, okay, thanks, buddy. And then she goes to Zuko, and Zuko tells her, you know, he uh, about Egg that he might have sacrificed anything to protect the Air Nation. It's so important. This is everything he wanted. He wanted this society to come back, but that Zuko couldn't say for sure, you know, as as the Avatar, Aang was concerned with people of all nations, and uh, no one knew better than Aang that in times of turmoil, people need the Avatar. Um, and I feel like that moment kind of solidifies Tenzin's death uh, and what it will mean to or how it will challenge Korra. Yeah, well, I mean, the entire one of the things that I love about this series is it's very subtly but very assuredly been about how different generations talk to each other throughout time. And, um, you know, once there's this new world that uh, Zuko and Aang have created, you know, with like Republic City, then like positions that Tenzin has about how an air nomad should act sort of seems like a stick in the mud sort of thing. But it's like neither side is sort of wrong in this weird tradition, I'm the master moment. And so I'm I'm really hoping that we get an honoring of that uh, either by Tenzin's death, which I think would, if if Tenzin goes out uh, sacrificing himself for both the Avatar and the Air Nation, that would be like the ultimate fulfillment of what he wanted to give to his dad. Hmm. So I'm not going to necessarily feel sad about that. And it's going to give us this awesome 
uh, you killed my master story point, which only leads to awesomeness in this sort of fiction. So uh, if we were ever glib about it, it was really early on in the season uh, where it was might have been me being like, isn't every season about how Tenzin wants to be a better teacher and now we're doing it again? And it was just because we didn't get to see what he actually does when his family and his father's legacy are suddenly both threatened at the same time and watching him let loose just, yeah, Tenzin dies isn't a joke anymore because the character is reaching his maturation point, but that's also what makes it much more possible that we're going to see him die. I, um, I got like choked up thinking about this too, that, um, you know, if Tenzin is out, uh, let's, let's not forget that, Tenzin couldn't really get to the spirit world until the portals opened up, but wouldn't it be nice to see Tenzin, like, come back at book four and be like, hey, Korra, I'm, I'm just hanging with Iroh uh, if, if he ends up dying. So there's, <laughs> no, that's, not, Genora, that's, a, that's like a spoiler suggestion. <laughs> more Genora than could hang out with him all the time. Yeah, exactly. The whole fam could be there. I mean, sorry for his other kids, but, oh. you know. <laughs> Genora, no, uh, sorry, but... It really does upset me. Like, I'm sorry. Yes, the ha- communicating hashtags is super glib and, and what have you. But um, when, if and when Tenzin dies, I I probably will legitimately cry. <laughs> so He's my favorite uh, character. Be if that makes upset. anyone feel like I'm less of a monster. Um, We're all monsters and, in the end. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, I, I think he's going to die. You know, we talked about how... Uh, the finale is a is a two hander. Both episodes are airing, uh, or I don't know, whatever streaming this Friday. Um, but if he dies, the very beginning of the finale, yeah. Um, I mean, it that makes would propel sense. it to the end, especially yeah. if we're going for like a cliffhangery thing. You know, it's interesting yeah. too that uh, all three of us are big Game of Thrones fans, and I know Brian and Mike are Game of Thrones fans. Uh, and the thing with Game of Thrones is like you're sitting on the edge of your seat because you don't know who could die, right? We're always like, anyone can die on Game of Thrones, and usually they're just out of left field, someone crazy dies. Um, but what I think is so dramatically successful in Korra is that we can, I mean, they can tease this in a way, right? It, we, it seems like either Tenzin is dead or he's going to die, and we know, and our heart is going to race for this week until we know for sure. But um, even if he does die, it still has impact. Uh, his fate can be sealed, and this show is still successful in its in the way it's constructing that story and rolling it out. I wonder why that is. Why? How can these two shows operate so differently and be so successful? Oh, I think that Korra has um, I just a lot more thematic unity. I think Brian and Mike learned a lot through doing the amazing three uh, books of Avatar with like 20 episodes per season. It's It's got to be a writing challenge and like this huge, it definitely has more of a Lord of the Rings feel as opposed to this one, which really feels to be in conversation with the modern world. Um, not, not just because they're radios and stuff, but in terms of the themes that they're actually talking about. This doesn't, this feels like a fantasy that's about now where I think Avatar: The Last Airbender felt like a, a felt like an ancient tome. It felt yeah, like yeah. You were adapting something. From it felt like a legend, past. a legend right. that we got to see play out for us. Whereas this one, even though it's called Legend, this feels like a story that's 
talking about right now. That's interesting. Do you think? Well, yeah. Oh. I mean, I don't think we've ever been able to find even a fraction of the real world parallels in Game of Thrones. That's not its intention, anyway. I mean, there, there, there are human reactions that are consistent in Game of Thrones, consistent in our modern world. But in terms of sociopolitical right. parallels, like that's that's unique, not unique, but that's a that's a striking characteristic of Korra. Or, or morale questions, right? I mean. Well, we, that's we, a, that's we a end tough up, one. We end up I, focusing a lot on the like big political stuff and and these kind of large points, but I don't know. I don't I don't watch a lot of television that kind of centers on such harsh moral like conundrums. And see, that's the thing. Like what I'm talking about, talking about like when I'm talking about a loop, when I'm talking in a loop about taking fantasies seriously or talking about fantasy. Um, being applied to current day situations. There's times on the other podcast I've done with Joanna about Game of Thrones where it's like, I don't think we can apply modern morality to what's happening in this story because it's a story that takes place in this fictional world and whatnot. I can't find myself making those arguments with Cora because I think it's part of the intention of the show to have those conversations and I think the world has been built as a, you know, a system of rules and tools to talk about modern parallels. Whereas something like Game of Thrones, like, I don't want to necessarily talk about, you know, uh, I don't want to always put like modern feminism right. on the female characters in Game of Thrones. I think that should be there as a show and they should walk that line. But Is that I think because it's, it's, you're in deeper in that world? It's so dense that you there's not room for that or... There's like a suspension of disbelief that I need to have to interact with like a live action fantasy series mm. where it's like I need to get into the world. I need to the first time or one of the times that I go through it, I need to go through it like I'm living in the world in order to see the fantastic world building that's going on. Cora, I don't know if it's the distance of animation that gives me or the distance that the anime style, even though not the animate frame rate gives me but there's a certain distance where i feel like i I don't, I don't know i've never felt like i've been like on team avatar i'm definitely like watching them and having a discussion with the creators of the show on like a second level mm. watch i don't know that might just be me um no i i tend to agree i mean i i love the show i can watch a show viscerally or enjoy it viscerally in that i mean the action is wonderful the story beats that are in this world um, captivate me, yeah. but oh, oh, like, I think like the writing stuff. plants those moments in for you to pull back. And like we were talking about the pace of this episode, and I think it could luxuriate in the moment of uh, inflamed bossing, say, or it can spend more time in the Misty Palms Oasis to Zalfu and like why they would have to make this trek and really explain it out and root it in plot. And yet, it's going to let you fill in those blanks. And by and it and it's like an essay question. In some way, this movie le- leaves you hanging and to fill in those blanks. Yes. I, I, the, I just thought of the parallel, which is it's Star Trek versus Star Wars. <laughs> so like Star Trek are like these little morality plays. And like only when Captain Picard is yelling, do you know he's really feeling an intense emotion? Whereas Star Wars is like this grand space opera in a fantasy world. We're like, I really want to invest in the entire world and like live in it and live amongst these characters. Whereas Star Trek, I just want to see them, you know, like convince the, you know, 1920s gangster era that time travel is important to the future. You know, like that's (laughs) I want to have those ridiculous conversations. And I feel like 
Uh, Legend of Korra is more like Star Trek, but is also bringing the emotional wallop in the end of this third season, which is pretty great. It reminds me of the first season. Um, I, I wanted to wrap this up by asking you guys two questions that are kind of prompted by um, listener comments on our website. One was from a commenter named TJ, who kind of honed in on Kaya's remark to Boomy as they were hanging on the side of the mountain. Uh, you know, Boomy's like, I gotta hang on or we're gonna die. And she said, let go, we'll die if we stay. And yeah. uh, something about that really struck the person, uh, struck TJ, uh, thinking that that was some sort of I don't know, parallel to Guru Lahima or to what this show is all about or this book, um, this current generation in the Avatarverse about letting go in order to avoid death and extinction, irrelevance, stagnation, as he puts it. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about it? Is that is that reading too far into it? Because I appreciate how far into it <laughs> TJ read. So, No, I love that. Um, from a technical or from a physical standpoint, because they got caught on a tree. Is that right? That yeah. push in their fall. They want, yeah, they wound up hitting a tree, and I think they. Live. I was really hoping that it was going to be, you know, Boomy using his airbending, newfound airbending to cushion their fall. I think that would have been. That's what I expected. Maybe it's better that it didn't happen the way I expected. But that if he had a hold of Kaya and was able to cushion their fall with with his airbending, which, like Bolin, has been, uh, you know, a bit of a struggle for him this season on and off. Um, but anyway, the larger concept of of letting go to break through uh, is really lovely. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't think that Kaya saying, I really don't think Kaya saying, let's just die, <laughs> it'll be better, you know. But, but, yeah, that acceptance of, you know, stop trying to hold on to the past, stop trying to hold on to your right. preconceived notions, I think open that, yourself yeah. up to something else. And to know? the unknown, right? It's about, yeah. you. The, these are all the ways that people tell us, how, here's how to succeed. What if we right. just did what feels right or what doesn't feel right? Um, just the alternative to feeling terrible uh, and, and going into the great unknown and seeing what happens. We shouldn't be afraid of taking a risk. This is probably not applicable but it's, it seems like it right now as I think about it. Um, and maybe our younger listeners feel this way. I was just having a discussion with someone about my high school experience, about how much work I had to do or self-imposed work and anxiety that I had in high school, middle school and high school. And just about like what I needed to accomplish or what I thought I needed to accomplish. And it was so much work and I would come home and be so exhausted and be so destroyed mentally and just like – I don't know. I needed to let go of more of that in a way or just like I wish someone had told me at that point to uh, dodge the bullets that come at you from all this like conformity in a way um, or the, the conventional way of survival to do all this work or to accomplish all these tasks that are set up in front of you. Uh, and I thought about that during this moment too and I'm just like, oh, let go and see what happens if you – follow this path or follow something that seems like it has potential, unknown potential. Uh, that's a crazy tangent, but it, it did pop into my mind while I was watching this. I'd really dig that concept. <laughs> I mean, drop I, microphone. I like, I like the fact that, yeah, I like the fact we had that conversation. I think it was just to remind everybody that the concept of people you love dying in this cartoon and it's now possible after what happened last mm. week. But uh, that doesn't mean it wasn't both. I actually, I really like the idea of uh, tying it to Kuro Lahima and 
I'm very interested to see if Zahir's goals have anything to do with all the Gurlahima love he's been, apparently been given it. Um, and the other thing that I was uh, I saw in our comments was from someone named Guest Zero, who said uh, who was talking a little about Kai and Kai living at the end of this, the Kai getting the final beat of this episode, maybe Kai to the rescue because he jumps on uh, right. the 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 young Bison Yip Yips channeling Ang there a little bit, um, but his, Guest Zero notes that Kai is neither the hero we deserve nor the hero we need. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Joanna, you kind of yeah. touched on this, that like Kai doesn't maybe deserve anything that he's doing or, or what, what's his deal? Like, uh, what, what do we think about Kai? What is he representing in this show and what could he possibly have to offer in the final beats here that might satisfy you or might really piss you off? I think it's fine for him to survive and it would have been fine for him to like save Janora though. It'd be preferable for Janora to save him. But for him, if he's going to come in and be the hero for Tenzin, uh, like I said, yeah, I just don't think that that's a character beat that he's earned. And if Tenzin ends up ultimately sacrificing himself for Kai, once again, I just don't think that's an earned thing unless there's a greater, um, meaning to that, that has to do with, um, you know, it doesn't matter how small or annoying the character is. Mm. You know, Tenzin can sacrifice himself for anyone. Um, Although maybe yeah, it's about I, maybe it's about Tenzin sacrificing for the Air Nation and not Korra, who Zuko seems to think needs to be the Avatar, needs to be above saving one part of society. Right, but it is true that I think also this feeds back. I, I will get back to Kai for a second, but it feeds back into that whole. Tenza needs to die. If if she's to fulfill whatever it is that Iroh feels like she needs to do, um, her link to the Air Nation needs to be severed a little, right? Um, her fealty, and it's not that you know she doesn't care about uh, Kaya and Boomy and all of them, but if Tenzin is not no longer there, her link to the Air Nation. Right. Um, How does this not end with Tenzin's death? How could it possibly not? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Kai, Kai dies instead. I don't want Kai, Kai to will die. Not die. Like, I don't like him, but I don't want him to die. But um, yeah, that could happen. Someone else needs to step in and die in Tenzin's place. This I guess. this this doesn't end with Tenzin's death through the magic of. Uh, storytelling where you could just make him so hurt he's out of it for like another half a season and so everyone just gets really pissed off because Tenzin in a coma yeah they basically like beat him into a coma which is like a dark idea to think about but that's a way of Mm. they could go to the spirit world and get him back and be like Tenzin you have to come back to your body now Something like that. But I think uh, the reason we're having Kai thrown back into the mix is Kai needs to uh, not just take responsibility for Jainora and his other friends, but by attempting to do something with Tenzin, whether or not he saves them or just witnesses, Kai needs to start feeling responsible to the Air Nation because I think that Kai and Jainora are our new leaders uh, for that. If they if the Air Nation makes it through, they're sort of like the, um, uh, the, the new Aang and... Oh, man, I just forgot. Katara? Katara, they're the new Ang and Katara. Oh, like that's how that's how they're like little flirty love is going, and you could see. I mean, it Kai. I mean, you don't you don't let Kai quote Ang for no reason, right? Well, I mean, I just think that he his scampishness 
is slowly coming around, but it still could just be sort of seen as a devotion to Jinora. He needs to commit to the cause, hmm. and what's going to do that is whatever happens when he gets back up there. Uh, well, well, we've talked at length about this. Uh, I wanted to mention one thing. What is the ultimatum here? Is the ultimatum... Uh, give, Cora, a, give yourself, give yourself up, up or we kill the airbenders. Um, and, and they seem to be doing that. They didn't really wait, you know? They didn't wait for her. <laughs> Not really cool. Well, who's to, who's to cool. say that they were going to kill them? Maybe they were just going to round them up, rough them up, you know, and then like you know have them all contained and unable to defend themselves, and then just start you know right. executing I them pre- with. They didn't expect them to run. Ice knives. Right. Whatever. It was Tenzin who refused to be used as ransom. Good for you, right. Tenzin. Picked it all off. What a guy. Um, let, let's let's wrap things up by talking about some smaller moments here. Does anyone have anything that stands out to them that they want to do highlight before we say our goodbyes? Um, I just sent you guys the gif of it, but obviously, <laughs> Pabu and Bolin <laughs> reuniting. Oh, so many kisses! And this yeah, like and these two spirits behind him are just absolutely wonderful. <laughs> what is going on there? It, it's like a grape with two spinning propellers and this other grape that has a giant mustache. So, and then, a grape with a mustache is like the best description of like whatever these random spirits we've been seeing all season are. All of these things are just grapes. Yeah. yeah, just a grape with a mustache. Uh, a grape with a mustache. I think the grandma's reaction is kind of like what, or the whole family is doesn't understand. <laughs> yeah, that's for these things. That's actually going to be my favorite moment. Was grandma's question to Mako why he wasn't dating Cora or Asami, and just the moment, just like oh, grandma. Because yes, he's been there with both of them, and I, 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 she, Maka wants her respect and everything, but she's got the, she's got the scarf. Best to just leave it alone. Are the shippers alive this season? Like, I, I, they must have melted after book two. I don't know what's. Are, are they okay? Are they feeling? I mean, I mean, Korasami has been awesome uh, this this season. So good. That's true. So, we don't we don't really need uh, any dudes in our shipping anymore. Yeah, but no. there there are still like ardent Makora and Masami people out there on positive. Yeah, I don't. Uh... I think Mako has gotten so boring. <laughs> really? <laughs> that who who can act? I mean, he has had his moments, but I think you know it's become so evident that Bolin is the more interesting brother, and the girls are fine on their own. I, I could so, just hear all the shippers gasping when Team Avatar hugged it up. They, they gave each other hugs, and I'm just like, oh, is, are they getting back together? Three. Um, oh, yeah. No, probably not. <laughs> I hope they don't. Maybe the new Air Nation will institute polygamy. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that's deep. Uh, we, we'd have a lot of cultural conversations if that was the way that went. Um, I, I want to highlight two little animation things, actually. Um, just the brilliance of Studio Mir here. When Mako and Bolin run into the airship, Mako stops Bolin with his hand. In a in a moment of pure com- physical comedic genius, uh, I just love that. And then when she's t- when Cora's talking to Iroh, um, and Iroh describes Aang and Zuko's relationship as shaky, he kind of does this thing with his hand. He does the shaky bit, and I just thought that was really imaginative, or or just added nuance to that scene. Um, and I guess it happens in the. I mean, all the action. There's no point in trying to describe this incredible action sequence that eats up the last 10 minutes of the episode. Um, but I did really like when Kaya is fending off Minghua's ice blades. And at one point, one 
is like thrown at her and she chops it in half with her hands. Um, and then she kind of just slaps Ming Wah off the balcony with water. I, I thought yeah. it was brilliant. I am so obsessed with Kaya fighting. It <laughs> is a little outrageous. Um, She's great. That's going to be your your RPG character. You're going to be Kaya. Oh, yeah, when we finally get around to doing that. Uh, <laughs> we we do need to role play. Um, anyway, why don't we say goodbye to everyone because we've talked their ears off. Uh, starting with Joanna, where can we find you on the internet? Um, you can find me every day on I'm sorry if I offended any shippers.com. No. Um, at- <laughs> <laughs> there are now on- a thousand Tumblr posts. Oh, chastising you. Oh, no. Um, on Twitter at Joe wrote this. You can find me almost every day on VanityFair.com. You can follow me um, for the next two weeks on Fighting in the War Room podcast and on the podcast, The Station Agents. Dave? Well, this week, uh, you can mostly find me on Twitter at DA7E because I'm relocating my physical presence uh, elsewhere. So in the meantime, why not catch up with my excellent work on Marvel and Star Wars at uh, DA7E.com and S7ARWARS.com. What the heck? That's you- Star Wars with a 7 instead of a T. <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Uh, and I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet all over the place, and I try and put it on mattpatches.com, which, my, which is my Tumblr. And uh, I've been s- recapping Cora over at screencrush.com, so check that out. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and I do another podcast with uh, Joanna at the moment, sometimes Dave, usually Dave, all of these lovely people, uh, Fighting in the War Room, fightinginthewarroom.com. And until next week, farewell. Farewell.